Gospel of John, chapter number 14. While you're turning there, it was July 4th, 1776. How many of you, does that date ring a bell? Well, the members of the Continental Congress that were meeting in Philadelphia signed this document called the Declaration of Independence. And with this action, of course, you know, the American Revolution was launched and a new nation was born. But it's ironic that on that very day, King George III of England, who kept a diary, wrote this in his diary, for the, his diary entry for the day. He said, and I quote, nothing of any importance happened today. Now on the day of Pentecost, in the year A.D. 30, and by the way, I know it's Mother's Day, and usually I try to bring a Mother's Day sermon, but this year, Mother's Day coincides with the week of Pentecost that celebrates the birthday of the church. And so last year, I preached to the moms on Mother's Day, and then I didn't preach to the dads on Father's Day, so this year we're going to reverse it, and I'll be preaching to our fathers on Father's Day, but my moms today, sorry, we're going to celebrate the birthday of the church this week. And so we're going to talk about Pentecost. Day of Pentecost in the year A.D. 30, 120 followers of a man named Jesus gathered together in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem and suddenly the Spirit of God filled each one of them and marked them, as Acts chapter 2 verse number 4 says, with tongues like flames of fire. Uh, on that day the church was born and no historian on that day saw anything significant either. But friends, it was a significant day. Those 120 disciples were just a handful of rather ordinary men and women, a few fishermen, a couple of housewives, former tax collector, a few farmers, some servant girls. And yet out of that group of 120 over the last 2,000 years, Jesus has built a church that now numbers in the billions. Significant day. Big day. In less than 300 years from that day, in A.D. 30, uh, the day in which the Holy Spirit fell, that small, insignificant Jewish sect of believers be and, and the religion that they began that day became the official religion of the entire Roman Empire, and it spread from there. And as a result, every one of us in this room this morning who know Jesus as their Savior have been touched by what happened on the day of Pentecost. For it was on that day that the Holy Spirit fell with the express purpose of giving believers power to become effective as witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's that effectiveness that we still have available to us today. Amen? So how did they do it? What happened to those 120 followers in the year 30 A.D. on the day that we call Pentecost? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. And if you're in John chapter number 14, I want us to initially 
begin with verse number 16 and hear the words of Jesus to some of these disciples who were gathered in that room on that day. Jesus told them what was going to happen. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live. You will live too. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not the one named Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The words that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But catch this 26th verse. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, and he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. How did they do it? Well, these 120 gathered in that upper room on the day of Pentecost, which officially is next Sunday, but which we're going to talk about today so that we can keep it in mind throughout the course of this coming week, they came in contact with the unknown God of the Christian faith. They came in contact with the Holy Spirit. For many Christians, the events of Pentecost, the events of God's Spirit uh, coming to this earth is similar to what King George said on that July 4th of 1776 that nothing of any importance happened today. Now that's sad because apparently they have that understanding because they don't fully understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And that's what we've been talking about for the last now four Sundays in our sermon series, Christ is Risen, Now What? There's a lot left beyond the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, next Sunday we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. It, it's one of the four major festivals of the church. It was called then the Feast of Harvest in which uh, the Jewish people would gather in the, the harvest of barley and, and other crops and they would come to Jerusalem and they would celebrate. And, and so uh, there was another contingent of many people from throughout uh, the region uh, of Judea that were in Jerusalem for this specific week. And we'll find out in just a minute why that's so significant. But when I say people from throughout the region, they were people that had been scattered to different parts, who spoke different languages, who had different dialects than the ones of the, the native 
uh, people of Jerusalem. And here they are gathered for this feast of harvest in Jerusalem. And it's on the seventh day of this feast of harvest that that something very significant did happen. In God's eyes, you see, friends, the day of Pentecost is every bit as more or, or more important than Christmas. Uh, we know why we celebrate Christmas. It's the time we celebrate of Jesus being born to the earth. But for some reason, the day of Pentecost is a holiday in the church year that almost goes unnoticed. Why? I think it's because we have a tough time getting a handle on what the role of the Spirit of God is for in our lives. Maybe we don't understand. Maybe we don't appreciate exactly what happened on that day. And, and perhaps even talk about the Spirit's coming is not as precious to us as talking about a baby being born in a manger or angels singing in the realms of glory or shepherds tending their sheep on the hillsides or even perhaps the gifts that are opened on Christmas morning. Maybe Pentecost doesn't get much attention because we've not found a way to commercialize it like we have some other holidays. Um, maybe we don't turn Pentecost into a cultural extravaganza or a national holiday, and as a result, it for the most part goes unnoticed. But this holiday is very important, not only in the life of, the ch of a church, but in our individual lives, and, and the Holy Spirit of God, friends, I, I want to begin what, all of my thoughts by saying this. The Holy Spirit of God is not something we should fear. It, 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 he's not, not some, someone we should ignore. The Holy Spirit, as we have been singing this morning in our worship service, is God's presence in our world. He's here. He's here right now. We are in his presence. He's the same presence that was moving over the face of the earth when God created this world. He's that same presence that took the form of a baby born in that manger in Bethlehem. He's the same spirit of God that walked the earth for 33 years, teaching and healing and proclaiming the love of God for everyone. And today, understand this. That same spirit is with us today. He's here. We are in his presence. And he is working through his people. He's working in his church to bring his love to a broken world. Now we know that the source of the Holy Spirit is God. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father who creates, God the Son who redeems and God, the Holy Spirit, who gathers, who calls, who enlightens, who clean, cleanses, who sanctifies people to make us holy. But this idea of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's a complex idea. It, it's hard for people to understand that it is our God revealing himself in three different personalities. It's this third person of the Trinity, this third manifestation of God that we, we call the Holy Spirit and we celebrate that coming on the day of Pentecost. Now, of course, as I said, in God's eyes, Pentecost has always been a holiday. 
But for the people of Israel, the Jews, the Feast of Pentecost was a celebration. One of their major feasts. So for them, they looked at the week of Pentecost, and in particular the day of Pentecost, as being a, a harvest of, uh, of grain. We look at it today and celebrate it as being the time when we bring in a harvest of souls. Again, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we're told of the manner in which the Holy Spirit came. If you would turn there with me, please. Luke writes, When the day of Pentecost had arrived... They were all together in one place, speaking of these 120. And suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. Now, for those of you who may be new to the idea of Pentecost, we are a church that believes that what God provided on that first day of Pentecost to those followers of Jesus who were waiting in that upper room in the city of Jerusalem is still available for us today. Now, I want you to, ha- I want you to listen closely this morning because I- I'm going to give you some different views that, that I hope will give you a better understanding a better comfort of of what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our lives as opposed to some things that you may have heard or things that you may have been taught, as I was, that weren't entirely the whole story. Um, This idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit... um, it can still be made known in the way that it was made known in Acts chapter number 2. It can still happen that way. And, and the way that it happened is quite simply this, and I, I'm being, trying to be as basic in, in my language so that you can understand it. What happened there was there were people who were given the gift of speaking in a language that they did not know, that, a language that could be understood by those who did know that language. Does that make sense? Now there's a reason why it happened that way. That's what they called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but at this point, I want to interject for you some teaching about this gift of speaking in an unknown language, or as it's more commonly known, in which you have probably heard it referred to, speaking in tongues. I don't want that to scare us. It's nothing for us to to be scared of if we have a proper understanding, not only of the day of Pentecost, but its role in the church today. Yes, that is the way that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the goal of speaking in tongues was not the purpose for his coming on that day. It was not the purpose so that people could speak in tongues. His purpose was made very clear by Jesus himself. You need to go back just a couple of chapters to Acts chapter number 1. 
In verse number 8, Jesus says these words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit was to endue or bring to us power, God's power, from on high so that we could be effective witnesses to a lost and dying world of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, concerning this gift of tongues that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, Paul lays the groundwork for what he's getting ready to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And there he says this, and it's so important that we need to understand this very clearly. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that if I speak the languages of men and of angels, but do not have Love. <laughs> I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Can I just ask a question? Which part of that do we not understand? Now, friends, those of you who have grown up in a Pentecostal church like I have, Not only have we seen the Holy Spirit used in the gifts, I'm here to tell you we've also seen it abused. And it's out of that abuse that comes much of the misunderstanding and much of the, much of the anxiety when, when, we, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit's coming and His role in our lives. Uh, if you look at chapter number 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say in verses 18 and 19, he says, I thank God that I speak in other languages or speak in tongues more than all of you. But catch this, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another language. What is he saying to us in these passages? He's saying to us that the gift of prophecy. Now, this is another thing where we get hung up on what prophecy is. Many people think that prophecy is someone foretelling the future. That's just a part of it. Prophecy in its purest form is simply speaking forth the word. Speaking forth the word of God. And that's why Paul says, the gift of prophecy is a far superior gift to that of speaking in some unknown language that no one else understands. This is not to, to diminish the importance or the, the, the blessing of speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying to you that in some Pentecostal circles, some of which I grew up in, this idea of speaking in tongues became known as a spiritual measuring stick as to who was more holy than someone else. How sad. Can I just tell you what that is? It's religious, stinking pride. That was never the purpose of God sending His Holy Spirit in the manner in which He did. 
And the outcome of that tragic spiritual pride is that it has caused many a church to place more focus on the receiving of that gift rather than the purpose that Jesus told us about in verse number 8 of chapter 1, which is to make us effective in witnessing to the lost the good news of Jesus. Now, how many of you are mad at me already? <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. This is important. This is hugely important that we have a clear understanding. The Spirit of God was sent to us to give us power to witness. And in doing so, He also brings to us the power to be renewed and transformed and changed from the inside out. How many of you have experienced change from the inside out? How many of you are not who you used to be? You know why you're not? Because the Holy Spirit who lives within you has been doing a cleansing work that begins to work its way out. And when people see the change in you and you speak forth to them why you're different than who you used to be and it's the power of Jesus that has changed and transformed you, what the Holy Spirit does, he takes your witness and makes them want what you have. Pretty easy, huh? Again, in Acts 1.8, Jesus said nothing about the importance of speaking in tongues. Nothing. But he spoke volumes about sharing the good news with those who need to hear it. And it is only in that, it, it, it's only possible for us to share that good news if, 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 are you ready for this? If we have a love for people that are lost. Love's more important, friends. You gotta love people into the kingdom. You, you gotta have a genuine love for people. <laughs> it renews us. His power is abundantly available to us. And I want to see a harvest of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, as witnesses, we can't afford to stop seeking to be continually filled with this power. It's not a one-time thing that takes place. It's something that has to take place in our lives day by day by day to walk in the Spirit as He is in the Spirit. As a church, we can't, we can't remain the same in our program, in our planning. We need to be changed and transformed. And as His children, we can't afford to ignore his power and presence in our everyday lives. We need Pentecostal power. I feel better already. hope you do. <laughs> but let me go on. His power is available to us to complete the task that he has set before us. Winning the lost of this world. Now, he wants us to complete that task in his power, not by our own genius and ingenuity. He wants it to be the genuine power of God that touches and changes people. The Apostle Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, says these words, My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I love that. 
A lot of us Christians do not realize the inner power of the Holy Spirit to handle things that we all too often want to take into our own hands. I was reminded of a story that pretty well illustrates this. Going through some of my old notes this past week. Found the story of a man who, who bought a new refrigerator. His old one had broken down. And so he went to find the latest, most technologically advanced refrigerator available on the market. When he found it, he bought it, loaded it into his truck, and headed home. Now once he got home, he moved the old non-working refrigerator out of his kitchen and brought the new one in. And after he had it in place, he went to the grocery store and, and he bought milk and he bought ice cream and he bought butter and all kinds of delicious vegetables uh, to replace the ones that had gone bad when his old refrigerator quit working. Took them home, placed them in his new refrigerator, went to bed for the night. Had a solid night's sleep, but when he awoke the next morning, he opened the refrigerator door to get some milk for his cereal. And he was shocked to find that not only was the refrigerator not cooling, but all of the foods that he had purchased at the grocery store the day before were already spoiled from a lack of refrigeration. And he was irate. So he called the store that he bought it from, and he got the salesperson who had talked him into buying this expensive model and he read the riot act to him. He said, I spent more than $2,500 on this refrigerator that you talked me into buying. And I brought it home. I put new food in it. And I woke up this morning to find that it's not working. And not only that, but all the food that I bought has spoiled and I am mad. So I'm bringing it back and I want my money back. Well, the salesperson listened to his rant and calmly replied, I'm, I'm really sorry, sir, that this has happened, but, but something has to be wrong. He said, let's walk through the steps that you took in installing the refrigerator when you got home. First, did you level it? He says, yes, I leveled it. It's perfectly level. Okay, said the salesman, did you hear the motor turn on when you plugged it in? And the man on the other end of the phone says, so what do you mean when you say plugged it in? What am I saying to you, friends? You can have all the intellect, all of the technology, all of the ingenuity in the world, but if you are not plugged into the power source... If you are not plugged into the power source, you're not going to be effective in doing what Jesus has placed you here to do. Jesus, in our text from the Gospel of John that we read earlier, talks about the counselor who is coming to lead his disciples in truth and to convict the world of sin and to bring God's righteousness into the lives of people who have experienced the brokenness of this world. And that same spirit, friends, is in each of our lives who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You see, God's Spirit comes to us 
at the moment of salvation, that moment when we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins and to take residence in our hearts as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit immediately takes residence within you. And He goes to work, cleaning you up day by day to make you more and more and more like Jesus as the days go on. It's that power of God's Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost. Now, I want you to think about this power. I was going to do a visual illustration of this, but as you can see in a moment, you're probably going to be glad that I didn't. Here's my point and the illustration to follow. Power can be used in two ways. I thought about bringing 10 gallons of gas up here this morning and placing it on the platform and throwing a match into it. Now you know why I didn't want to give you a visual. But what would happen? You know what would happen. We would have an explosion. Power can can be released explosively when I drop that lighted match into that 10-gallon container of gasoline, right? Or, Or I can take the same 10 gallons of gas and go put it into a a modern-day car that gets the best gas mileage available on the highway. I can take that same same 10 gallons and put it into that Honda or whatever kind of car that is, and it becomes power in a controlled burn. Not an explosion, but a controlled burn. And it'll transport a person 350, 500 miles, right? Well, here's my point. Explosions are spectacular. (laughs) But controlled burns have a lasting effect. Are you with me? Controlled burns have a lasting effect. They have staying power. The Holy Spirit works both ways. At Pentecost... He literally exploded on the scene. His presence, we read, was like tongues, like flames of fire that descended on each one gathered in that upper room. When the apostle Peter came down from the upper room after having had that experience, having received that power, he preached a message in which thousands of people were affected by the words that he preached. Why? Because he had been given power to be effective in sharing the good news of Jesus. (laughs) The Holy Spirit also works through the church. The church is the institution, whether we like it or not, that God chose that would tap into the Holy Spirit's power over the long haul. I'm talking in the 2,000 years and however many more years until Jesus comes to make us effective as witnesses of that same good news of Jesus. Now, it exploded at Pentecost, but it's a controlled Uh, power that has had an effect on the world for more than 2,000 years. Staying power. You know what staying power will do? Staying power will help you get through the ups and downs of life. It will help you get through the ups and downs of life, and we all have those. Staying power will call you to be a worshiper. Staying power will make you willing to be a servant and willing to serve. 
Staying power will gather us together on, as a body when we come together on Sunday morning or whenever. And it enlightens us with the truth of God and continually works at making us holy. I like that part. There's a lot in me that still needs to be under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can become more and more like Jesus. And you know what? I can't do that in my own strength. I have this thing called flesh, and it's easy to give in to the flesh. But if you surrender yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit, He has a staying power that you will find makes you more and more like Jesus day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. That's his purpose. And all of that happens on a daily basis in our lives. The Holy Spirit is quietly at work every day of our lives in us. He's there with us as we, as we manage our business. He's there as we raise our kids. He's with us as we work for another person. He's there in everything that we do with a, with a specific purpose of impacting the people that we come in contact with with that power that has changed and transformed us from what we used to be into what we are now. And he comes to us with enough power so that we might do the job that God has called us to do, and that's to reach the world with the gospel. What I'm saying to you, friends, he, he doesn't have to come in a dramatic, explosive way. I mean, we would welcome that too, amen? Amen. But he doesn't have to come that way. He doesn't always cause us to do dramatic things. But he is there to give us the power to live the kind of lives that we need to live and to be the kind of people that God intended for us to be. Holy Spirit allows us to point not to ourselves, but to Jesus. It's not about, friends, how spiritual you might think you are. It's about what Christ has done in you. That's what matters. It's this Holy Spirit which makes the church, this corporate body of Christ, the most unique organization that has ever been in existence on the face of this earth. I, I, I found this, I want to share it with you. Russ Blowers is a minister who is active in his local Indianapolis Rotary Club. And at club meetings, every week, a member gives a brief statement about his job. Now, remember, Russ is a minister. So when it was his turn, Russ said, I'm with a global enterprise. We have branches in every country of the world. We have our representatives in nearly every parliament and boardroom on earth. We're into, motiv we're into motivation and behavior alteration. We run hospitals feeding stations, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, and nursing homes. We care for our clients from their birth to their death. We are into life insurance and in particular fire insurance. We perform spiritual heart transplants. And our original organizer owns all the real estate on earth. Plus an assortment of galaxies and constellations. He knows everything and lives everywhere. 
Our product is free for the asking. In fact, there's not enough money to, to buy it if you wanted to. Our CEO was born in a hick town where he worked as a carpenter, didn't own a home, was misunderstood by his family, hated by his enemies, walked on water, was condemned, condemned to death without a trial, and rose from the dead. How do I know? I talk with him every day. Boom. That's what it's about, friends. Now, just one more thought, and I'll close. I want to talk to you for just a minute about those flames of fire that ushered in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why was there a symbol of fire when the believers received the Holy Spirit? Because fire is the symbol of transformation. Fire changes whatever it touches. What does the Holy Spirit want to change and transform in you and I? Well, the Holy Spirit took a group of uneducated fishermen, former prostitutes, ex-religious leaders, tax collectors, and various family members of Jesus and the other disciples and formed them into a group called the church. That's what he wants to change and transform in us. Before Pentecost, Jesus' disciples were scared. They lacked faith. They didn't fully understand the plan of God. But after Pentecostal fire fell, they were united as never before. Until then, nothing had welded them into a united force that could effectively work together. It took the fire of God's Spirit to accomplish that found a story of a blacksmith this week who had two pieces of iron. He wanted to weld them into one piece. So he took them just as they were, all cold and hard, and took his big hammer and started pounding on them with all of his might, but they were still two pieces. They wouldn't unite. And then he remembered something. Expose them to the fire. And he got both pieces red hot. And he laid one on top of the other when he pulled them out of the fire. And with several blows from his hammer... The two pieces became one. I like that. What makes the church work? God's Spirit moving in our midst. There's never been a program that has dramatically transformed and changed people's lives. Now, you know what? Can I just say this? I'm tired of programs. I, I'm tired. I'm, I get emails every day of the week, the latest, greatest program to transform and change your church now programs are fine but they better be bathed in the power of the holy spirit or they're going to fall flat on their face i'm tired of programs i want to see the manifestation of god's spirit in our midst in such a way that it will supercharge us to walk out of these doors and be instruments of the glory of god in our workplace in our home in our school just a couple of scriptural examples of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me, one will come who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, speaking of Jesus. And he will baptize you, what? With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 1, if you want an Old Testament example. When King Solomon was dedicating the beautiful temple that he had built to house the presence of God to dwell in, we are told that when Solomon finished praying, 
fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And what was the result? The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Supernatural fire from the presence of God. That indicated to the people that God had accepted their tabernacle, their dwelling place for him. And he evidenced it by fire. The proof of his acceptance. Supernatural fire that fell from heaven. The Apostle Paul uses that same term when he's talking about the temple in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19. There he says, Do you not know that your body is now the temple? of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. And then he goes on to say, you are not your own. You have come under the influence and the power and the changing transformation of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, God sent his own, own fire to demonstrate that from now on he would accept the temple as being the hearts of believers not in buildings made of brick and mortar. Now friends, here's why, and I'll touch more on this next Sunday, but here's why he came and manifested himself in the lives of people who did not know the language that began to come out of their mouths. You know why? Remember that feast of harvest that people from all over the regions of Judea had gathered, people who spoke different languages? When those languages began to be spoken by people who had never learned them, these people who had come into the city of Jerusalem heard the works and wonders of God being expressed by these uneducated people, telling them and drawing them to Jesus. And they said, how can this be? They don't know that language. Well, God sent it so that they could hear it and understand it. And as a result, 3,000 of them came to be a part of the church that day. That's why he did it. Now, he can still do that. But it's not, it's not the unknown language that we need to get all, all hyped up about. It's about what the effect was. The effect was being effective as witnesses. And I guarantee you, some of those same 3,000 people that came to the church that day, they were some of the same people who had said how preposterous this idea of Jesus rising from the dead had been just a few days previous. But something about the power of the Holy Spirit and hearing the wonders of God being proclaimed in their native language drew them to the power of the truth. And they became a part of the church. God, when friends, God, when, let me try that again. Friends, when God sends forth the Spirit, chaos is changed into creation. The Red Sea opens up to a highway of freedom. When God sends forth the Spirit, a young girl responds with a resounding yes, and Jesus is born, and that young girl's life is never, ever the same again. When God sends forth His Spirit, amazing things can happen. Barriers can be broken. Communities can be formed. Opposites can be reconciled. Unity can be established. Diseases can be cured. Addictions can be broken. 
Cities can be renewed. Races can be reconciled to one another. Hope can be established. People can be blessed. And out of all of that, church happens. Worship team, would you come please? Today, the Spirit of God is present in our midst. I, I wasn't going to do this, but I am, because it's too, just too good to pass up, and I can't say it any better than what it's already said. A black preacher once told his church on a Sunday morning, he said, church, get ready, because God is up to something. Discouraged folks are going to cheer up, he said. Dishonest folks are going to fess up, he went on. Sour folks are going to sweeten up. Closed folks are going to open up. Gossipers are going to shut up. Conflicted folks are going to make up. Sleeping folks are going to wake up. Lukewarm folks are going to fire up. Dry bones are going to shake up. And those who have sat in their pews as pew potatoes are going to stand up. But most of all, Christ is going to be lifted up. Hallelujah. What What has to happen in our midst? We have to let the Holy Spirit of God unify us to one purpose, one plan, one body, One Lord, one baptism. And when that unity comes, the Spirit of God is going to do some amazing things in your life and mine. Would you bow with me, please? Lord Jesus, first of all, I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. That word that the Greeks used in describing the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to guide me, to counsel me, to fight my battles for me. I thank you for him. I thank you for the the changes that he's brought to my life. There are people sitting in this room right now, God, who can testify to all the changes that God's made in this guy. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you changed me. I I, I thank you that you you turned me around on that road that I was heading down and, and you brought me eventually to here this morning to proclaim the power of your Holy Spirit that's available to your church. Dear Jesus, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would just flood this place. Not just today, but every day. I'm praying that the day will come, Lord, that when perhaps I'm here at the church by myself, I can walk not only into this sanctuary, but into my office or any classroom or in the hallway, and I can just feel your presence charging the atmosphere and that will happen as your people yield themselves 
to this same power that fell on the day of Pentecost. God, I know that there are people in this room that are already experiencing that power. Lord, I thank you that Rod Whiteley and, and, and Wallace Williams this week were led by your spirit to minister to people who gave their lives to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Thank you for their willingness to follow your lead, Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we hear testimony after testimony from people in this church whom you are working in that same way in their lives, drawing men and women and boys and girls to the life-changing, saving power of Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, we have thanked you for touching and changing our lives. And now, Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to you to move in our midst, to heal, to minister, to restore. Whatever you need to do, Holy Spirit, we surrender ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name.